I mean, I've met the one. I don't know, so probably crazy. 48 times. <laughs> I would message my sister, be like, no, 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 Alice, this one's different. Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. It's Hot Topic Day. It sure is. This Hot Topic feels particularly apt. Particularly hot. <laughs> particularly hot exactly and topical and topical because i've got to say the emails mm-hmm. you know we've always been getting emails for yeah. this podcast 50 percent of our podcast is us giving relationship advice and i cannot tell you how many emails we get surrounding breakups mm-hmm. and how to navigate them and so i could not be more excited about today's hot topic guest but before i let you jump in amy i'm going to read Read some of your accomplishments. (laughs) Okay, so our guest today is Amy Chan. She is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. She also has a seven-day online breakup detox course, which, by the way, Amy, a friend of ours, after I announced that we would be having you on, he was like, I've done her course. And he said it was amazing. So. Congratulations. She is the author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. She's the editor-in-chief of Heart Hackers Club, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. Her company, No Big Deal, has been featured across national media, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Glamour, Nightline, and the front page of the New York Times. That must have been very cool. was very cool. (laughs) And I just have to mention this, because I don't want to forget at the end. P.S. Her next in-person breakup boot camp retreat is November 12th to 15th in upstate New York which looks amazing, I've got to say. It looks like heaven. So I just wanted to put that out there in case anyone feels they need it after this conversation. Amy Chan, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thanks thank for you. such a generous intro. <laughs> I mean, we, I, we couldn't leave anything out. You're so accomplished. And before we get started, I do want to mention that the language we'll be using today will be probably predominantly heteronormative and will probably be from the perspective of people who identify as female, But I do think the messages can be applied to all humans going through a breakup. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Amy, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Let's chat about the heart. (laughs) Let's. So uh, I feel like we're in such good hands because you just really do speak breakups. But I wanted to just sort of funnel the direction of this because when I was taking notes for this episode, I was almost like overwhelmed because I feel like there's just so many directions you can go in when talking about this. So being someone who has helped countless people heal, in your vast experience, what do you think the top three mistakes people make in the breakup department? Mm, Great question. I think the very first one is after the breakup and it doesn't even have to have been a long breakup it could have been a few bad dates and maybe someone ghosts there's this inclination to get together with friends maybe over wine and then just trash the person (laughs) and pathologize them and the word narcissist is a very popular trendy word now and while it feels good in the moment and your friends are well-intentioned 
it actually does a lot more damage because it's like eating junk food. You feel good in the moment and it's bad for you on the long-term health scale. Same mm. thing. So the more we continue to blame our ex, pathologize them, psychoanalyze them, the more emotional charge that we have and that emotional charge keeps us hooked. What ends up happening is you get into the cycle of just berating and blaming them. And this causes you to actually stay in a relationship with a person who's not in a relationship with you. And I've seen people do this for years sometimes mm -hmm. after a breakup. Yes, I think Yikes. we can all attest yeah. to that. Yeah. And I think also we've all been guilty of it. One of the things I love about your book and your messaging in general is that you have made all the mistakes and so you have learned from them and yeah wow that's a big one that actually was not what i was expecting you to say for top three but that i can see that being a big one yeah. okay let's get the next two okay so tip number two you've got to cut off contact don't try to be like okay well maybe we could be friends and i see often the person who's doing the breaking up wants to be friends because they want that emotional comfort still and they're also in pain but what is happening is in your brain when you are with someone for months years decades you have neural pathways that have been wired together and so after a breakup, your body is in a state of shock. And logically, you might know it's over. Logically, you might go, oh, it, they're bad for me. But your body is hooked because of those deep, lean grain neural pathways. So every single time you give them a call, send them a text, get angry with them, have breakup sex, check their social media, you're only strengthening those old neural pathways and you're not allowing new neural pathways to form. And so you need to cut off contact. And the way to do it is if you think, okay, I'm just going to cut off contact forever. It'll be too overwhelming. You want to do what's called chunking. So you say 30 days, no contact. Then you reassess after 30 days, see if you could do another 30 and you keep going from there. Yeah. I always like to compare, um, the way you should break up to the way you should get off drugs. And I don't mean get off drugs like you have a recreational habit. I mean, like it's ruining your life, drugs yeah. kind of thing. So people are like, oh, I'll just have one hit just to, you know, get me through the day. But then you're right back in. It's love is a drug, not to sound cliche, but it is. It's a dopamine drug, a very strong one, probably the strongest one there is. Yeah. And you have to treat it like a drug addiction. You had a drug addiction, which was good and now bad. How, how most drug addictions are. They do start off good. Otherwise, you wouldn't get addicted. But um, not to not to endorse <laughs> drugs. But yeah, there's a few good days. Let's be honest. Maybe a few weeks. But you must cut it off completely cold turkey. Otherwise, your body will never be able to adjust. It's impossible to just slow play a breakup. And that's what I try to explain to so many people. And I've, of course, made this mistake. I'm sure you have. I mean, yeah. you're an expert probably, but you've made all the mistakes, I assume. But I've made all the mistakes, too. So we're self-taught. But it's a drug. Don't yeah. do a little heroin every day <laughs> to get off of heroin. Just don't do it. Actually, Amy, you make that comparison a lot in the book about the dopamine hit. Yeah. 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 Which we'll get to, obviously. Okay, number three. I'm dying to know. Okay, so number three might surprise you. And it really is to treat your breakup, your broken heart, just like you would treat yourself if you broke your leg. And so you might be like, what? 
when you break your leg, you know, you go to the doctor, you probably put a cast on it, you rest, you take care of yourself. You don't start beating yourself up about how stupid you are because you broke your leg, oh, maybe a little. But when it comes to matters of the heart, there's this just, you know, get over it mentality and don't be weak, be strong, don't cry, they're not worth your tears. Absolutely not. After a breakup, you go through different stages of separation that can really mirror the stages of grief. And you can't think your way out of it. So when people try to analyze right away what happened, what they should have done, what they shouldn't have done, this is really a way of avoiding processing emotions. We go to our brain because we don't want to feel it in our heart. And so respect the process. There are six mm -hmm. stages that happen after a breakup. You're going to have to go through all of them, maybe not in order, and you're going to bounce back and forth, but you need to process the pain. And when you're crying, cry. That is just emotion and pain exiting the body. But if you don't do that, you are going to just carry on that baggage and it's going to come out in some shape or form, either in a future relationship or it's going to hit you hard uh, later on. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said in the book that the only way is through. Yeah. You can't get around it. Yeah. yeah. There's no shortcut. No. no. Yeah. I've done, a, done, I've done some breakups where it's a lot of, a lot of crying and a lot of drinking. And the <laughs> drinking doesn't work. The crying no. does, though. The crying does. does. Yeah. Sometimes a good cry feels, I mean, good. Yeah. It, it can. Does. Yeah, even if it's something over, mm -hmm. over something so heartbreaking. Okay, so this is sort of referring to that second one you made about contact because a frequent question, what I did was I pulled our followers on Instagram for questions for you and then I sort of compiled, you know, recurring themes and a frequent one we got was whether or not it's okay to keep an eye on their Instagram, their Facebook, whatever, watch their <laughs> stories. I've, I've read your book, so I know what you're going to say, but let's all hear it from the source. <laughs> okay. Surprise, everyone. No, it is not okay. <laughs> Again, it's the same thing of like getting like that little bit of heroin. When you are scrolling their Instagram, when you're actually, when you just get the craving, you have to understand what's happening to your body. It's not because they're so amazing that you want to check in on them. It's because your body is used to getting dopamine hits from your relationship. Now it's not getting it. Your body's like, what the hell is going on? Dopamine motivates you to get the reward, even if that reward isn't good for you. Hmm. So your body's craving dopamine. And so just understand it's a biological thing happening. Find a healthier way to get that hit of dopamine. Go exercise, call a friend, reread a really nice email someone sent you. Do something, anything, just do not check on your ex because again, you're just continuously strengthening those old neural pathways and you are falling back a few steps every single time. I, I would take it a step further. I'd say just stay away from Instagram, even if you're not going for a breakup, <laughs> but you know, as a policy. Yeah. It's, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. And you know what? It's interesting to hear you say that because what you're actually saying is it's not just not going to help you move forward. It's really taking you backwards. Yeah. It's but, more harmful than anything. You also, it's, have to, you also have to just 
think about it rationally. Like, what is the best case scenario? Are you going to see a post where your ex is like, oh, I really shouldn't have broken up with that person and my life is terrible now and I wish I had them back. Like, you're never going to see that post ever. <laughs> it's going to be them with some other girl, them having fun with guys or girls or whatever. It's never going to be what you want. So don't do it. Well, especially because everyone always looks so happy on their Instagrams. Yeah. And no. even if the person is miserable, you're going to get the happy version. So either way, you're losing. Doesn't matter what's happening, whether they're pining away for you or not, you're going to lose by looking at the Instagram. Yeah. And do you want me to give a little tip on how to deal with that withdrawal? Please, please. do. So when you are having that craving, it's not really your logical brain that is taking control. Uh, it's great to notice what is the trigger. So it could be boredom. It could be every single time you sit on that couch. Uh, so find that out because there's usually an association. So you feel some sort of an emotion and it's like an itch. And then you want to go check their social media as a way of scratching that itch, even though logically it won't happen. So the thing to know about withdrawal is that it happens in a wave. And so what happens is it takes on average around 20 to 25 minutes for that withdrawal, for it to hit its chemical peak and then for it to start to minimize. When you know that, you know, I can do 20 to 25 minutes. See how you feel after that, because it will go down. The problem is we don't think that pain and is or that itch is ever going to go away. So we just give into it right away. Mm -hmm. Another thing is you are triggered. So if you are triggered, maybe it's anxiety, um, sadness. Your logical part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is probably going offline and your amygdala, the part of your brain that processes fear and threat, is online. So you're like an animal that's in survival instincts. And so you have to think of yourself as an animal and you need to do a state change because what's happening is when you are triggered, you are being flooded with adrenaline uh, and cortisol. Adrenaline is useful because it tells your body to take action. So it's going to tell you to take action, which is text your ex, look at their social media, do something, even mm. if that's not going to help you. So do a state change, put on a timer for two minutes, shake your head, shake your body from head to toe and let that those stress hormones start to metabolize. After that, then you can go through the thinking, is this serving me? Is this kind to myself? Is this helping me towards a future that I want to build? But it's not going to work to talk yourself out when you are in such a triggered state. Mm, that's interesting. I love how it's just so yeah. scientific. It's I love chemical. It. That's it really all we is. are. We're just a bunch of chemicals flowing around. <laughs> yeah, I just love that because our, our listeners, our Shandies, are very smart and logical. And a lot of the questions we get and maybe I'm not sure if your answer will be slightly different or just more expanded for this. A lot of the questions we got were along the lines of, I know in my head it's wrong. Logically, I know it's wrong. How do I convince my heart of that? So that's I feel like that's sort of a microcosm, like don't act on looking at their social media or text them. Bigger picture, do you have any advice for people who logically know it's wrong and don't know how to convince their heart that? Yeah, I, I think understanding that when you're logical, yeah, your logical mind is going to make more logical decisions. But when you are triggered and after separation, you are in a heightened state of survival because your core attachment just got disrupted. So you don't feel safe. So you could feel triggered 20 hours of the day. Um, so you're not making decisions in a very logical way. Uh, state changes really do help. So if you... Uh, 
in addition to shaking it out, you could actually take a cold shower. If you can't do that and maybe you're at work, put, run your hands through really cold water. That will help you with a state change. Wow. Um, I always say you need to do the state change first to shake yourself out of this kind of animal brain before you can do everything else. You can't meditate right. your way out of like a survival uh, reaction. Um, so after that, taking deep breaths, I know it sounds very simple, getting back to the breath. Um, and then I would actually create a list of things that you could do to get that kind of hit of dopamine, to feel that support, to meet that need of connection, which is really the unmet need that you're trying to kind of have met by checking their social media. Mm -hmm. um, because you want to set yourself up for success and not just rely on willpower when the time strikes. So you have to have your strategy in place now so when it happens, you're like, okay, I'm going to call my best friend. I'm going to listen, you know, to um, the podcast over and over again. I'm going to do these things and you do those things. And if you exhaust that list, you still want to check, fine, go ahead and do it. But you will find that the more strategies you have and the more you practice this different route, those neural pathways start to build and you start strengthening that and it becomes easier and easier through time. We interrupt this program to bring you a message you have heard before, but we will continue to drive this point home. Mm -hmm. Andy. Hello, Tushy Bidet. Yep. Do we even need to keep telling you about this product? Because you should have it already by now. Honestly. We're not going to stop. Not. I'm not going to stop until everyone I know has one of these. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel like we're the Johnny Appleseed of Hello Tushy Bidets. <laughs> we really are. Yeah. So, of course, the Hello Tushy Bidet, in case you've been living under a rock or really just discovered our podcast, mm -hmm. is a bidet that you affix to your existing toilet. So you do not need to go out and buy a new fancy Japanese toilet that sprays you. This turns your existing toilet into one of those. And it will have a bidet that will spray your your rear end, your parts. Nicely done. And keep you clean. And will help you use up to 80% less toilet paper. And I really would have liked to have been part of that study. <laughs> A lot of very honest, good people. Yes. Monitoring their toilet paper use. And we're still clinging on to the very tail end of swamp ass season. <laughs> yes. Especially in the southern part of the northern hemisphere. So watch out. Yeah. Get that bidet. Yeah. Get that hello tushy bidet. Yeah. Get, get your get your shit straight. Literally. <laughs> it's archaic to be using dry paper to clean that area. You're not cleaning at all. No, you're moving it. You're <laughs> removing it. You're spreading it. You need water to clean such areas. Yes. And the Hello Tushy Bidet does just that. Defeat swamp ass. Go to hellotushy.com slash shandy to get 10% off plus free shipping. This is a special offer for our listeners at hellotushy.com slash shandy for 10% off. Hellotushy.com slash shandy. Yeah, it's, it's really scary The when you're in a really bad breakup. Um, that adrenaline rush manifests itself in sort of a constant panic attack yeah and that when you're in that state it's almost impossible to act rationally mm. and i guess my question to you is is that perpetual panic attack is that a result purely of adrenaline that has nowhere to go that's just telling you to do something and you're just not doing the thing 
Yeah. So there's a combination of things, right? So yeah, there's definitely a chemical reaction that's happening in your body. Uh, as I mentioned, your body isn't at an equilibrium yet. It used, it was so used to this certain equilibrium with this person in your life. So it's making sense of the new reality. Shock is the very first stage of separation. The next stage is denial. Then you go into the depression and the anger and the rest of it. So yes, it's chemical. And the second thing is they, you know, after a breakup, this this bond, this attachment bond has been um, jeopardized mm -hmm. and human beings, we are wired to connect. We are wired to feel safe. And so when we feel a threat of safety, that really puts us into panic and to high gear. And depending on your history, if you have an anxious attachment style, if you've had a history of abuse, if you've had codependent tendencies, you are going to take that separation and that threat to your, your safety a lot harder than someone who, say, has a secure mm -hmm. attachment style. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Okay, so since you're touching on attachment styles, I think we cannot let you go without talking about why we choose the wrong people for us. Because what I love about your book is it's not just about dealing with a breakup. It's about how to process the information you learned from that relationship to make different decisions moving forward. Because you say in the book, it's not really about the ex, really. It it is, yeah. but it's also not entirely. So why do so many of us choose the wrong person in the first place? Yeah. In the book, I talk about uh, our, our chemistry compass, which is a term I created that talks about our internal GPS that points us into the direction of who we're drawn to and who we're repulsed by. And so what happens is there's something called attractions of deprivation, where we are subconsciously drawn to people as adults uh, who can wound us in a very similar way to how we are wounded as children. And our brain, our psyche, on a subconscious level, tries to recreate the scenario of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. So I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, it sounds uh, like a movie. Wow, <laughs> thriller. Yeah, I, I grew up with a very unavailable father. He was a business guy. The only time I got attention or love was when I got good grades in school and then he would give me some money. So I mm. learned at a very young age that love is something you earned through achievements and being useful and being this kind of perfect version of yourself. And so, growing up I dated different types of people in my 20s was only I only dated DJs and club owners and then in my 30s I was like entrepreneurs and I was like no no, no there's there's no uh, pattern here they're totally different <laughs> but when I looked at the emotional experience it was exactly the same I was constantly pining for their love for their time trying to prove my worthiness so what I was doing and I didn't know this at the time I subconsciously was choosing people who could really wound me in a very similar way to how I was wounded as a child because my psyche was like, okay, well, maybe this time if I, I just prove how worthy I am, if I'm just, you know, the, the most prettiest girl and I pack the lunches and I'm, I'm perfect, then maybe I'll earn that love. But human beings were drawn to what's familiar. So if you didn't have a healthy model of what love looks like and feels like growing up, and then your first few experiences on top of that were not very positive either, it keeps stacking. And then mm. you get this baseline of what familiar is. And we feel chemistry with people who we feel familiarity with. Mm. Wow. I'm almost uncomfortable with that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> 
wasn't ready for Get that. Get a little too close, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, getting a little too close. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Very nicely done. No, and I love your examples, too. I just the, That's amazing. The club owners to the entrepreneurs. It's funny. On the surface, you'd be like, there's no similarity, but it's totally true. And okay, so I have a quick question. This wasn't on my list, but when you say you didn't have the healthy model, is that something that you can you surround yourself with better models that can affect you or make you I don't know, rejigger how you see that? Yeah, I love that you asked that question because so often when it comes to relationship pain, people are so focused on just the partner. Um, when really it's your entire tribe, your entire village. So the people that we are exposed to on a regular basis, they are wiring our nervous system. They are influencing our brain. And if you are around people who you feel safe, you don't feel judged, you feel like you could be yourself, that is helping you. It's helping you create those neural pathways for a healthy connection, for trust. It's helping calm your nervous system. It improves your vagal tone, which helps you socialize and feel like you can take risks. But when you are around people, and it might even be your roommate who's terrible or your boss, and you're exposed to them 60, 70% of your waking hours, that is wiring you. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about who are you dating, it is about who is in your village and consciously choosing the people that you are exposed to. And those people who I call low safety relationships that you feel like they cross your boundaries, you don't feel safe with them. It's time to start figuring out a strategy to start decreasing and minimizing your exposure to eventually maybe even having to cut them off. The medium safety ones, you might need to renegotiate those dynamics. This could be even people in your family. You start having those conversations about boundaries and enforcing the consequences. And if they can't play in your sandbox, bye. Mm -hmm. And then the high, the high safety people, maybe you only have one person. You make a plan to invest more in that person and to find more people who you feel safe around. God, I love this. I know. You know what you should do? You should have a boot camp for this stuff. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, I feel very validated by that because I feel like a lot of my 30s have been about sort of funneling that that very tribe you're talking about. I feel like my 20s were a lot. And I'm just talking about platonic friendships, actually. But just, you know, investing time in people that you don't feel good hanging out with, but mm -hmm. you're not really sure why. And you it's hard to identify. But it's sort of... What, you, what you're doing is proving me right that it does beat you down on a deeper level yeah. and it it costs you in the mm -hmm. long run. It's like having a, a house with, with leaky windows in the winter. That's <laughs> what I think of it like. And it took me so long to figure that out, by the way. I'm still learning it. Mm. It's mm -hmm. so easy to just feel like you're a bad energy in my life. But it's a lot Get harder out. to like, actually. It's hard to do it. it and I don't hard. know why, but it's like, stop. That's bye-bye. Especially Enough. if that person makes the effort. It's one thing to right. sort of let it die right. <laughs> naturally, but yeah. If they don't go down easy, yeah. Well, and the reason I asked that model question, just because we've gotten really sweet feedback. You know, this podcast is a year old and we've gotten really incredible feedback from some Shandies saying that we provide a, a healthy relationship model that they didn't have growing up. Is that something that actually could like is that is that for real can they watch a healthy relationship on a regular basis and actually subtly be rewired in some way 
Yeah, it's not just about watching, it's about engagement, right? And so okay. I think this is where attachment style comes in. And for those of you who are for, uh, for the Shandies out there who don't know about attachment theory, mm-hmm. um, basically by the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment system which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. And there's three main styles. So they're secure, avoidant, and anxious. And those who have an anxious attachment style, those are pretty much most of the people who come to breakup boot camp, they take breakups the hardest because mm. um, they typically have come from inconsistent caregiving where they don't know if they're going to get the love and the safety and or if it's not going to be there. And at a young age, that wires their nervous system. So they become very anxious because back then it was a matter of survival. And mm. so this attachment follows them into their romantic relationships where romantic partners replace the the parent figure. Um, So that definitely has a lot to do with it, but you can become more secure. I mean, I used to be anxiously attached to the like extreme codependent, a lot of love addiction. Um, And with the very first step is awareness. And I think that's why this podcast is so incredible you can learn a little bit here and then you could be like okay that made sense to me I'll I'll read a book on that and then you just kind of make that your theme for the next three months and you will start to see some shifts in your life that is super cool Mm -hmm. it's also inspiring like it's cool to know that you actually can change because it's a little intimidating to hear that your attachment style is pretty much set at that young age it's it sort of feels defeating yeah, but that's pretty sure. cool to know that it actually you can actually change it. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to breakups. What advice would you give to someone who is going through a breakup but really feels like the person who broke up with them is the one? Also, while you're answering that, please tell us whether or not you believe in the one. I think I know your answer, <laughs> but I still want to hear it. <laughs> so the one. So growing up, I just loved Cinderella, Little Mermaid. And then that, (laughs) as I grew up, that became Sex and the City. And then just recently, Bridgerton. Uh, What do all of these stories have in common, right? And I'm sure Shandies are listening. They've like binge watched these shows and Love Actually and all these things. They all show this ideal of love that there's this one person for you. And sometimes you just lock eyes with them and then you just know <laughs> and this is the this is the the idea of love that's just been like fed down your throat since you've been two years old mm-hmm. and no matter what you absorb it and this idea of the one and only soulmate is totally messing up so many people because it creates this world of fantasy that does not exist. It is not reality based. There is Mm. no such thing as the one. And when you go to a bar and you lock eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. That's typically, and you have a history of unhealthy relationships, that's typically your subconscious picking up a wounding pattern and being like, oh yeah, that that person right there, that guy, he's going to wound me and neglect me. He's going to like love bomb me so hard and he's going to disappear for a month. Oh yeah, that one. I mean, that, <laughs> is, that is pretty hot. I mean, <laughs> you know, you got to admit. <laughs> wow. So, I, I mean, I've met the one. I don't know, so probably crazy. 48 times. And <laughs> I would message my sister, be like, no, no, no. Alice, this one's different. And she's like, okay, Amy. And, you know, I, you have to actually look at when you meet someone and it's a 10 out of 10, like, oh my gosh, 
that's typically more of a red flag than a green light. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes. uh, if it's a partnership that you want to create, and I'm not talk- talking about some exciting, you know, tryst when you're 20 years old, if it's an actual partnership that you want to create and be honest, if that's actually what you want then know that it takes time to know their values, to understand their character, to see if there's an alignment of compatibility, of of life vision. And it's not in the good times that you really see if this is a viable partner. It is through conflict. How do they deal with an argument? Do they ghost? Do they avoid? Do they blame Mm. you? Do they gaslight you? It is through the hard decisions that you see, is this person someone I want to choose? Oh my God, I'm obsessed with this it's answer. Good stuff. There's an example you gave in the book where there was a guy, I think it was Carter, who oh, you yes. uh, who was not your type on on set. And then when you hung out with him more and more, you were like, oh, wait, actually, there's these traits. Like there's the friendship that's built in these different traits. And it got me thinking, because I do, you know, we all have girlfriends who will write off an option whether just because they're like, oh, that's not my type or they're like, I didn't feel I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the chemistry. And in the book, you talk about being a victim to this, quote unquote, chemistry. And do you would you say that people don't give it enough of a chance? Because all the things you're talking about that could prove whether or not someone is their one are all things that would require a lot of time. Yeah. So do you, you think that people just write off their options way too fast in general when it comes to dating? Definitely. So especially if you have that broken chemistry compass Mm -hmm. uh, that's pointing in the direction of the bad boy, the unavailable person, whatever it is, you are going to have a type and that type is someone who's going to just keep wounding you. And so the way you can actually rewire it is like what I did in my in the experiment I did with Carter, I actually knew my chemistry compass was broken because I dated so many people and I constantly was having the same experience. And when people were nice and actually wanted to date me, I felt disgusted. So I'm like, something's wrong here. (laughs) And I conducted a dating experiment. And so I made a commitment to myself. I'm like, okay, for the next like six months, I am going to uh, start swiping on people and being open to dating people who like seem like they're healthy and intentionally wanted to date me. And so I, you know, the first four or five people, um, I would give it two to three dates. It wasn't working. And I was like, oh my God, this isn't working. And I remember meeting Carter in the beginning and he was interested in me and I didn't want to lead him on. So I had a conversation. I'm like, Hey, you know, you're cool. If you want to hang out as like homies, like I'm down, but I don't feel like a, you know, a sexual attraction. I don't want to lead you on. He's like, you're an awesome human. Yeah. Let's just keep hanging out. And it wasn't until, you know, six of these experiments later with these other people, our seventh or eighth time hanging out, we were having dinner. And I remember just looking across the dinner table. And I was like, huh, very <laughs> handsome. <laughs> what? what the heck? And what I, it dawned on me was my dating experiment worked because all those people, they started to increase my familiarity with what does healthy feel like? Oh, what does it feel like when someone is supportive? What does it feel like when someone actually likes you and puts an effort? Mm -hmm. And so my baseline, my homeostasis started to change little by little because you don't go from dating toxic people to like suddenly being drawn to the most secure, healthy person. It doesn't work that way. It's too foreign for you. So I, I got more comfortable and then I saw Carter through time, how he showed up, how, what an amazing person he is. And that, then the attraction grew. And 
the thing about attraction is it's not about dating someone that you you like don't want to be around. It is understanding when you go on a date, just see if there's a connection mm-hmm. because your brain might not cognitively process that it's romantic or sexual attraction until later on. So that's very possible. But if there's a connection, meaning I'm having fun, I want to see this person again, go on another date. It's so true because what happens is, is that your child is the one who is attracted to all these terrible people or wrong people. They're not necessarily terrible. They're just terrible for you. And until you see someone with adult eyes, you can't be dating like an adult. Hmm. So you have to become the adult. And it's so refreshing. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about, by the way. And it's just so refreshing. You're like, oh, we're adults now. (laughs) Now this is an adult relationship. At one point we grew up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really, it's so true. You just put everything so well on I know I'm into into what you got, Amy. Yeah, I'm really into that explanation because I feel like a lot of people tend to think that like, oh, I've been dating these toxic guys, but it's just because I haven't met the one yet. But what you're saying is if you don't start retraining yourself, you wouldn't even know the one, even if he was on your front stoop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. So next. And there's also the, the pressure to find the one because of social media. It's like, you want to get that post out there. Be like, look, I found the one too. Yeah. And it's perfect. Just like all of your relationships. <laughs> okay. So next question. Is there such a thing as needing closure or is that just an excuse that people give to see each other again? Mm, yeah. Mm. After a breakup, people are obsessed with closure. And they have an idea in their head that it should go a different way. But it's actually not closure that people truly are desiring. It's relief from the pain, right? So they think that, okay, if only I had that conversation, if only they apologize, if only blah, 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 then I'll be fine. Then I can move on. And then you'll find, like, you might get that apology or the explanation or why they actually broke up, whatever it is. And you still want more. It's not enough. It's never enough. It can't satiate this hole, right? Mm. Because that it was the closure isn't something external that can be given to you. Closure is a process. Mm-hmm. It's a process of going through the stages of separation, not resisting them, not shaming yourself because you're feeling sad or angry or whatever it is that you're feeling, but saying, holy shit, this is part of the human experience. I'm expanding my emotional range. Mm. And it is getting to a place of having compassion for yourself because it, it is very hard to have compassion for another person, especially someone who you feel hurt from if you do not have compassion for yourself. That is the very first step. And then you just keep building on that and, and then redirecting your focus onto stuff that's going to light you up, right? Because what happens afterwards, people get so obsessed with the closure and they're like analyzing the heck out of the person. Oh, well, maybe it's because they're wounded, blah, 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 whatever. It doesn't matter. It's Mm. over. Nothing (laughs) is going to change that. And so shift that obsession, which is just energy, and Mm -hmm. redirect it into something, an empowering fantasy. Maybe this is the time to write that book start that blog, start that podcast, Um, take dance lessons, do something that's going to light you up because that turns it into passion versus obsession Mm -hmm. over your ex. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that as you start doing this, you naturally start to not think about your ex as much, but it happens step after step and it all kind of stacks together. Yeah, it's so true. I found that the two things that helped me most with breakups were writing down, just sitting with a pencil 
or a mm. pen, not on a computer and writing down everything I was thinking about and feeling and then throwing myself into something that I loved regardless of the risks or how silly it was. Mm -hmm. Those two things I found are just magical cure for breakup problems. And the drinking didn't really help (laughs) and the crying helped a little and the sex (laughs) with a lot of people helped a tiny bit, but it was the writing and the throwing yourself into something you love. That's that's it, that's all you need to do. I think. So you use the word obsess and obsession, which got me thinking of another part of the book. There was a quote in your book that says, don't mistake your obsession or hope for his love. The intensity of your obsessive feelings does not signify how deeply in love you are. Rather, it reflects the intensity of your limerence. And you talk about limerence in the book. And I would love for you to expound a bit on that because this really stood out to me as something that I think people confuse with actual love. And so they feel this loss over love, but actually it's something else that they've lost and are obsessing over. Yeah. So Limerence was coined by uh, Dorothy Tenov, who describes the state where when we are in Limerence, there's this obsessive, almost compulsiveness to Mm. this person that we're directing our energy towards. And sometimes what happens is in Limerence, people are obsessed with just that rush. So it doesn't even matter who the apple of their eye is. It goes from person, maybe they get it and then they're like, oh, done. And then it's the next. And they just keep jumping because they need that rush. Hmm. Other times it is, they focus on one person and it's not reciprocated. It's it's a combination of unrequited love and obsession. And it gets to a point where it starts to um, negatively affect their their life. Um, So when you're newly kind of falling for someone, do you have some obsessive tendencies? Yes. Is there like a little bit of limerence? Yes. But it's not to the point where you are not able to work. You can't concentrate because you're 80% of the day obsessive Mm. over Mm -hmm. getting this person's attention. Mm. I feel like a lot of much, too much passion is not a good thing. No, it's not. And it's not the reason why you should choose to jump into a relationship Mm. with someone. Yep. Can I mention one thing about why sometimes people get so passionate obsessed? Yes. Yes. So um, this is also to the point of why we choose or date the people who are wrong for us. Um, There's something called intermittent reinforcement. And the people who have created slot machines at the casinos know this very well. And this is the psychological phenomenon that... uh, we get hooked when we don't know when the reward is going to come. Yes. That was mentioned in that documentary about social about, media, right? Yeah, like birds. They did the test on birds or some animal. Oh, really? Where yeah. the animal is more likely to come back if they don't get it all, like they get it very infrequently. Oh, and they, yeah, they don't know when they're getting yeah, it. Yeah, there's an unknown and they, they really, you know, they desire that hit more than they would ordinarily. same with social media there's like never an, an end or or you get like like the intermittent rewards from yeah. game apps and Forever things and, and it makes and it more obs- like yeah. obsession inducing yeah. okay sorry yeah continue. intermittent reinforcement is in many parts of our lives right not just in relationships but in romantic relationships when you are getting uh, a little text message here that you don't hear from them but then they come up with flowers and then you don't hear from them but then they're checking their ig story but uh-huh. you just never know Mm. when it's going to come what happens is when you do get it you get this crazy rush right you get a bigger hit of dopamine when it's unpredictable rewards Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so 
it's not because this person is so incredible. It's because when you are in a cycle of not knowing if you're going to get this attention or love or affection, um, or they manipulate and they do love bombing. So they come on really strong and then they do something abusive or they completely, you know, ghost and they're gone. Mm -hmm. That will create this kind of feeling like you're addicted to the person. And so that can cause us, oh my God, I'm obsessed. Like, and you start to be so preoccupied with when you're going to get that next hit of attention, um, similar to that person who's just on the slot machines. Oh man. Yep. I mean, that is really helpful to think about it from that angle, because if you can correlate, you know, any behaviors you're, you're encountering with a guy you're dating with that, you know, a lot of people are they're sort of analyzing, well, he didn't text in five days, but then he blah, blah, blah. And then he did this. He said this, but then his actions said this. It, it gives a nice um, legend that you can go by. And, uh, yeah, you know, you can recognize actually that this is just my this is well, just my rush. My, ga- my gam- They've proven that gambling is a bigger addiction than most drugs. Yeah. And, and gamblers are miserable most yeah. of the time. They're mm-hmm. just losing and losing and losing. I mean, lo- let's face it, all gamblers eventually lose. And I think they're probably looking for that in the end. But they are more addicted to gambling, which is 90% of the time yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. You're not having fun. You think you're having fun, but it's all you're losing. You're upset. You're stressed. More addictive than drugs. And gambling is exactly what she's talking yeah. about. That's exact. It's such a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> well, God, we're such. We're so stuck in this evolution. We're stuck with this machine. It's so unfair. <laughs> I know. We were never built for this stuff. We were built to just like find nuts and berries and a woodland animal on occasion. If there weren't any nuts and berries, oh, this is not what we were built for. <laughs> okay. So, uh, next question. And this one came up a lot. And I'm curious to know your answer to this one. I actually don't have any inkling as to what you might say to this one. What would you say are the key factors, if any, that indicate there could be a future rekindling after a breakup? So we've all heard that you break up because it's broken. But let's say the reason was circumstance or timing or it felt like external factors were the reason for the breakup. Great question. (laughs) So... It doesn't matter about your history. Mm-hmm. The problem people get into when it comes to breakups is something called sunk cost fallacy, which is a term used in economics, which is a human tendency to continue investing into a bad deal because of what we've already invested. We also do this when we go to the movies. We buy a ticket to a movie, the first 30 minutes suck, but we're like, you know what, I already bought the ticket, I'm gonna stay for the whole thing. We do this in relationships. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people stay for a long time because of what, you know, they've invested therapy and time and, well, you know, but there wasn't improvements that we did so much work um and then after the breakup there's this like well i already invested so much so maybe you know i can get it back this is a thinking trap and you need to like really become aware if this sunk cost fallacy is just taking over you want to ask yourself if i was to make the same decision right now today no history no past investment because you can't recoup that would i choose this person today right you right. want to prioritize present value and future so, value, so not the past investment. So that's mm-hmm. the very first thing. The second thing is, okay, maybe you're like, you know what? I would choose this person. Yeah. You want to see, have there actually been any changes, right? Because you want to look at what will actually make 
a viable partnership. If a partnership is what you're looking for, you need a combination of three and the vision that is aligned mm. and timing. And the next thing you need is two people equally invested in building that partnership. So if you have all these three things and you have said, you know what? I do see this person in my life. There is a lot of present and future value. Then sure, give it another try. But if not, and you're like, oh, well, you know, the timing's off because, you know, they still live in another continent or mm -hmm. whatever it is, or, you know, they really don't want kids and I really do, but, you know, maybe they'll change their mind someday. <laughs> no, it's a no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> She's very satisfied. You give very satisfying answers. But is this, this is the way it has to be done. People don't listen. They it's, don't listen. They keep throwing good money at bad. No, I mean, you, Andy could not have nodded harder when you started talking about that. It's no. so true. It's investing, you have to cut your losses. Investing and relationships have a lot of similarities. Yep. Think about it that way. Okay. So next question. Rebounds. Do you believe rebounds are a thing? Or is that just you getting you know, getting back in the scene and just trying to get your mind off things. And is there such a thing as too soon to try dating again? Yeah. So it's too soon to start dating again if you're using dating or sex as a way to avoid going through the stages of separation. Mm. Uh, so don't do it as a way of not dealing with what you're going through because it's going to catch up to you. And that's what we call baggage. And it shows up in later on in your relationship. Um, but there's also a point where you've, you've really done a lot of the grieving and you might not feel a hundred percent, right? You're not going to get to this magical place like I'm healed. And then finally you can date again. Mm. Um, but if you, the way to check is if you were to see your ex on a dating app, or if you were to see them at a bar with their new date, would you be completely crushed? Would you be, you know, in fetal position at home, you know, back to square one. If the answer is yes, don't go and date because mm -hmm. any rejection or something not going according to plan is going to derail you. But if you are like, you know what, it would hurt, but I would be all right. Then yeah, the only way to test it out is to actually try. And you might go on a date and you might think afterwards, you know what, it's just still too much. I, I'm still really comparing or whatnot. Then you go, okay, let me, let me just give it a rest for a few more weeks. And then you check in again. Okay. I have two questions based on that answer. Yeah. So agree with that. By the way. Yeah. So the first one is the comparing because a lot of people brought this up thoughts on comparing new dates to your ex. Is it unhealthy? And do you have any tips for stopping that cycle? I mean, and to be fair, I think that comparing can extend for years and actually well into I think a healthy relationship. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. Like at what point is comparing not good versus like just normal? Yeah. Okay. So I think that, sure, I could judge and say comparing is bad, but that's not helpful. So uh, it's not about, you know, judging, comparing. It is about replacing that behavior with something that is going to be more healthy for your future that you want to build. Mm -hmm. So when you find yourself comparing, being like, oh, you know, the sex was better with my ex or whatever, um, you can, it's, you're, you're actually just back into fantasy world. You're not being in reality. Okay. So what you can do is you can um, do what I call the stop sign exercise that helps with anyone who's just really in fantasy world or you're in rumination. If you're not in the present moment, this is what you do. Um, you... First, you close your eyes 
And then you imagine a big red stop sign visually. You imagine it and then you say out the word out loud, stop. Then you open your eyes. Then you start looking around and you start listing everything you're grateful for. And you just like, I'm grateful for this plant because uh, it's like adding oxygen to my air. I'm grateful for the city. You just keep going. And what will happen is it's going to, it's just like you're taking a different path. And it's going to distract you into back into the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then that other thought will just kind of fade away. Now, the first few times you do this, you're going to be like, oh my God, that doesn't work. Just keep trying it. <laughs> because again, you're creating a new neural pathway. You're training your brain. And so the more you do it, the easier it is for you to get back to present moment. Um, and then, you know, I think another thing that's helpful is do some journaling and start writing down all the reasons why you are grateful for this person and what you do like and value about this person. Don't even think about, don't make a list about your ex, but just like what in this present moment, because each, each relationship is going to be unique. You know, putting your thoughts and your energy into adding more light to this, right? We can feed our thoughts or we can starve our thoughts. It's not helpful to just judge the thought because it's gonna come. It's what do you do with that thought? Are you gonna feed mm. it or starve it? Man. Okay. And then my second question, based on your answer about, you know, rebounding, dating, getting back out there. When you talked about trying to get your dopamine hit elsewhere, is it harmful or is, could you feasibly do this, go on dates with other people to get that sort of positive reinforcement or whatever? Or is that not mm -hmm. a bad idea because you should just try to get it or, from somewhere or that's not Or sleeping romantic. around. <laughs> <laughs> not that I ever did that. Look, I, I think that if you have a goal of, you know, using people or manipulating them, that's always a bad idea. But when you are around other people, whether it's in a dating context or going to some meetup or whatever it is, you are getting feel good chemicals. You're getting that need for connection met. Um, mm -hmm. And probably the other person is as well. So, yeah, go do that. Put yourself in social situations. And now I feel like you knew this question was coming. And of course, this one was also very popular. Being friends with an ex. Do you ever recommend it? Do you have a specific timeline? Do you think there's such a thing as too soon to consider it? And if you think it is possible, because I think you are friends with the ex that inspired you to write the book, what factors do you think need to be in place for that to work? Yeah, I think the gut check is if you were to see your ex with someone else, mm. what is that? Is there an emotional charge? Full stop. <laughs> That's yeah. it. No need for more. <laughs> That's the answer. I, I really, and, and if if there is, then give it more time. Yeah. And mm. not every ex deserves a place in your future, right? Even friends, like just because you have a history with someone that doesn't automatically give them a spot in your present and your future. <laughs> Consciously choose who you want in your village. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm friends with a few of my exes. They are incredible people and it didn't work out romantically, but through time um, and then, you know, moving forward, I still have love for them. I love my ex who I've, you know, inspired breakup bootcamp, um, not in a romantic way, but as like this, I just care about this person. We've been through so yeah. much together. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's valuable to me, but not I, I, everyone. There, there's somebody that didn't even get, you know, airtime in the book because they were losers. I, <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. 
I, I would actually say almost more powerful than being able to see your ex with someone they're happy with is being upset that your ex is with someone that you think they deserve better than. Ooh. And when have, I got yeah, to that point, you, I yeah. knew I was like in the friend zone hard. Yeah. And you're just like, you can do better than that. You deserve more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a sweet sentiment, actually, yeah. where you not only can bear the thought of them with someone else, but you cross this threshold where you care about them so much that you don't want them to get hurt by someone else. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of nice. You want to, you prioritize their happiness over yes. your jealousy. And I love that you uh, are specific too about the fact that not all exes need to become friends because you're right. Some of them, their purpose was that relationship and it ended for a reason. And mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. Just because you shared that experience doesn't mean that they Absolutely. should be forever enshrined in your social circle (laughs) okay one more question and then we're gonna let you go amy now we're gonna turn the tables where you are the breaker upper because we got some questions on this so a lot of a lot of the questions regarding this were around how do you know like when is it time and then from there should you drop hints or just do it and then from there how honest should you be should you be direct and rip off the Band-Aid or should you soften the blow even if it's not as honest? And if you Ugh. want, you, you can you can role play with me. I want to feel the rush of being broken up with. <laughs> Come on, bring it. Let's hear it. Well, so yes, I can role play. And, and first I'll preface, dropping hints isn't communicating like an adult. Uh, that's what children do. Um, and so have clear conversations, right? But if there, if you haven't made the decision in your head and you're just wondering, have those upfront conversations and see and give them an opportunity to, to see if the two of you can, can work through them. But if you hit a point where you know this is not the person that's going to be, that you want to continue with, then you want to do it quick and you want to do it, uh, rip the bandaid off. So do you want me to break up with you? I, I would like you, Amy, to break up with me. Okay. Well, um, so first of all, I would, you know. Uh, no, let's say you would. I want you to break up with me. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so hard. It's really hard. You don't I know, have to put her on this, but you don't have together. to do it. Okay, so this is going to be a longer conversation, but the gist of it would be any you know, we've had such an amazing two years together. Oh, Ty, I can't wait for the next three years. It's going to be great. Yeah. And I, I've grown a lot and we've had, you know, just so many memories. And I feel that our paths are not aligned. And it's, I, I have care for you, but I don't want to continue being in a relationship with you. And I know this is really harsh and I know it's really hard and there's nothing I can say to probably make this easier, but I care about you and however I can support you, um, please let me know. I mean, this sounds really formal. You know, you'd add some like nice things in between, but. Wait, who are you talking to? What's going on? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you broke character amy it's the weirdest break i've never broken up this weirdly before are you, are you talking to yourself i do living at the same time oh, okay anyway i never liked you anyway so i don't i don't care go ahead see if you can do better 
But yeah, that that was good. Yeah, that was very good. I liked how direct that yeah, was. I felt a little sad too. Yeah, I saw it was, it was yeah. hitting you hard. Yeah. Amy, that was good. Wow, very nice. on the spot. Very nice. So you don't want to to make it about well, you know, you're you're always like on your phone. Like you don't want to mm. make the breakup about here's a laundry list of things of what's wrong with you. That's not mm. the place for it. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, we get so many emails along those lines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where there's a laundry list of like, oh, the, he says that our futures don't align and that I do this too much and that he can't see a future because like, <laughs> I don't drink wine and he loves to drink wine. I'm not kidding. That was actually in one of the emails. And I just want to strangle the no. guy that said this because then, of course, the woman is ruminating right. over these like this list of items and trying to but fact that, check that each list one should come out when the relationship is good it shouldn't be dropped at the end right. mm-hmm. the, the inventory you everyone has that inventory list right. yeah you should bring that out in the relationship when things are going well yes just have the balls to do it you don't drop them on that at the end that's just ridiculous amy you were such such a wonderful guest wow and what a speaker i have a feeling that many shanties will be attending your boot camp yes yes and also buying this book which by the way i didn't know what to expect i you know i was i was excited to have you on i was like oh i'm excited to read a book i was really blown away by your writing and just it was both so relatable it was like talking to a friend but also so rooted in like this the science and the chemicals that it was it felt like you walked away with actual things you could hold on to it wasn't just like meme advice you know what i mean Anyway, congratulations. Yeah. We're sure. big fans. Yeah, big, You're one big of the good fans. ones, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you broke up with me. Cool. We're cool. We're friends. Amy, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be in touch, I'm sure. Thank okay. you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <sighs> wow. That was just so much information in one hour. Like, I don't even know where to start. She was, it was so concise and condensed. And she's such a good speaker that I was like, oh my God, so much to talk about. And she's got that great, like, tough love angle. It's just like, this is With compassion. There is always compassion, Mm -hmm. but it's tough love. It's like, this is what you have to do. There's no room for error here. Yeah. You cannot do this. You have to do this. I, I, I just love how intelligent she is and how she's obviously learned from personal mistakes. Mm-hmm. You need to make all the mistakes before you can give the advice. Yeah. And she's a real like introspective analytic thinker. And she's like, why, 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 why? Always asking. This entire this book. this is where she ended up. Yeah. This entire book was launched based on that. Why? Isn't yeah. that incredible? Amazing. And like an entire business. The yeah. boot camp looks amazing, by the way. It's like a, it's a retreat in this amazing place upstate. I was like, I want to go. <laughs> it looks really cool. Oh, man. I just love the balance of practical advice that's really like, stop thinking about your feelings. I know that's, I'm not, it's easy to say that, yeah. but what you're feeling is, you know, you need the dopamine hit and there's the oxytocin and you're feeling withdrawal and all this stuff. I just love how you can sort of take a step back and analyze it from that angle because it gives you something to hold on to that's not just resist. Mm -hmm. Resist contacting your ex. It's that's It feels kind of nebulous. It's like, okay, I can try, but I'll just get this one. You know, I just want to talk to him briefly, you know? And if you know that doing that is actually setting you back, because you're just seeking that dopamine hit that then you're like okay even though it might seem hokey in the moment to try to get that dopamine hit 
elsewhere, yeah. it actually is going to help you in the long run. Absolutely. It's not just in this moment. You no, know? you can't think when you're going through the throes of a breakup, you cannot think in the moment. You in the moment is your enemy. Yeah. It's that you have to think about you in the long term. And she touched on that, too. You know, like just sh- shake out the. the yeah. What, what Adrenaline. I mean, yeah. shake out the anxiety, the nerves. Yeah, just, yeah. just like your body is telling you to to do something, to fight. Mm-hmm. She said like, change your state. So even if it was taking right. a cold shower, even run your hands under cold water. I thought that was so interesting. It's oh man, I love that. There's so much about freezing our bodies we don't understand. Showers. I used to do that. I took freezing cold showers when I was really upset in a breakup. Really? I still sometimes do a cold rinse, but that's just I think it's healthy. <laughs> but it really does uh it does get your mind in the moment. A lot of things, anything that gets your mind in the moment away from this nonsense mm-hmm. that you're going through is healthy. And I think as humans it's like it's we were talking about, you know, the adrenaline rush, like shaking yourself out. It's like if a mouse, if you throw a snake into a, a mouse cage, yeah. the mice, mouse is going to completely freak out, like, and just like constantly until that snake's out of the cage. Mm. Basically, what's happening to a human being who just got broken up with, with someone who they thought was the one, yeah. is there's a snake in their cage yeah. all the time. <laughs> but the snake's actually not there. You have to make believe the snake's not there and live your life as if it's not there. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. You have to distract yourself. You have to f- throw yourself into things that have nothing to do with the person you're thinking about or the state you're in. She also talked about how, I thought this was interesting, many tend to overestimate that the pain will last much longer than it actually does. hmm uh, a clinical psychologist suggests that it takes about six weeks after a breakup for many people to start to adjust to life without their ex. But you sort of imagine it's going to be oh yeah, years. It's the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. You're dead. You're, you're never going to get over. over it. Yeah. You're never going to find someone. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to sleep well again. You're mm-hmm. never going to eat well again. It's just human nature. Same with the craving for the, that dopamine hit. She talks about that too. You know, it, it in the moment feels like I can't do anything except focus on this. But actually that craving doesn't last very long. It was in the seconds or at most the minutes. Right. Like it's maybe it was two minutes or something. Yeah. And so that when you, it, I liken it to, you know, holding plank pose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're in a workout class and they're like, if they don't give you a deadline... It's a lot harder to hold a plank pose. But if they're like, okay, you're holding a plank for 90 seconds (laughs) and then they count it down, you're like, okay, I can see the finish line. I feel like if you know that none of this is going to last as long as you think and it's all temporary, (laughs) then that gives you the resolve that you need. 100%. You see a finish line. Yes. It's very powerful to see a finish line. Yeah. It's just like, look, let's face it. You know, life in general is us trying to lessen pain, right? (laughs) All of life is just like keeping pain as low as possible. It's so true. We're all just seeking comfort all the time, physically and emotionally. That's all we are. We're just like pain avoiders. We're (laughs) like machines that avoid pain. And like this is when you get broken up with, you perceive it as the greatest pain. You would rather be burned alive than Mm -hmm. going through this pain of this breakup. But what you don't realize is there really is no pain. It's It's a mirage. You never should have been with that person. Yes. You never should be and you never sh- will be and you are, should be happy about never will being with that person. Yeah. So understand that the pain you're feeling is a mirage. It's not there. I love how she talked about that one, the one, you know, people no. were, a lot of people were like, but what if you really feel the person who broke up with you is the one that got away? And I just love how she touched on that. She was like, the one, it's that, that is 
the mirage, really. Yeah. The, the one is based on factors that culminate in a person who wouldn't break up with you. Like if you talk <laughs> in terms of the one, first yeah. of all, yeah. you're, you're not with the one. And you're probably not going to find the oh, one. Oh, wait, say that again. If you speak in terms of finding the one, you're probably not with the one and you're probably not going to find the one. <laughs> well, you have to stop thinking like that, first of all. Because there is no one, num- just numerically, there's probably five million ones yeah. for you, or if at least. Yeah. Let's be honest. She talks about that too. Hold on. There was actually a funny section on that where she talks about how, I guess, 73%, or at least when this poll was done, 73% of people believed in the one. And I mean, talk about limiting. Uh, It's just so silly. And she says, assuming your soulmate is set at birth, is roughly in the same age bracket and is recognizable at first sight, mathematical estimates indicate that your chances of finding your soulmate is only one in 10,000 or 0.01%. That figure doesn't take into account the fact that 9,891 of those people likely live in a place that you will never conceivably go. The numbers just aren't on your side. It's time to stop placing your bets on finding a soulmate and playing a more realistic hand instead. You can find a soulmate. You're just not going to find the soulmate yeah. that's the best on earth for I, you. I like to say my one. You yeah. know, my one. You are the. You are my one that I found in the most fantastical of ways. And I love our meeting story. Yeah. But do I think that you're the only person I could have lived with or, or gotten married to or been happy with? No. Wait, wait a minute. What? <laughs> No, but you know what I mean. I think oh, we both agree on this. Like, absolutely. It was unlikely that we would have met. I'm so happy we did. But at the end of the day, what you are, are is a combination of traits that I really value and that I'm really compatible with and that mm-hmm. I was looking for. And I think that people sort of need to remove this label of the one, this sort of like blue ribbon they put on someone. And that makes the breakup so much harder because they feel like no one else will compare or that's it. They found their one, they lost their one, that's it. Like, can you imagine how defeating that is? But also most importantly is if it broke up for whatever reason, I don't care if they broke up with you or you broke up with them or, you know, it wasn't the one. No. Not even close. No. It's not even close to the one. Nope. Because the one wouldn't break up with you. The one wouldn't break up with you. (laughs) Yes. And you wouldn't act like a jackass to be deserved to be broken up with. (laughs) Not saying that that's the reason people get broken up. Sorry. Andy's joking. Unnecessary. <laughs> oh, she was great. She was great. And good timing. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people need to hear this right now. You know, what? The, really, the, the crux of what she's saying. And by the way, if you're going through a breakup, this is the Bible. Okay. <laughs> like we've had authors on who have relationship books and they're great, but they're more, you know, some of them are more broad. Some of them are more no, specific. This is, pretty specific this is breakups, if, yeah. just surgically talking about breakups. This is, this is the Bible, but you know what the real crux of what she's talking about, what's discussed in this book is you have to grow up to be mm. in a great relationship. You have to be an adult. Yes. Children don't have lifetime relationships. No. Ever. Mm-hmm. It's never happened and it never will. You must be an adult in a relationship. You must choose an adult as your partner. That made so, me think of what she was saying about how you, you see someone and you, you know, you lock yeah. eyes and you think that's the one. Yeah, it's Disney. It takes work to retrain like your tastes, like yeah. your barometer for what chemistry even is. If over and over and over again, like there comes a point where you are the common denominator if that is a pattern for you. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Th- this is the, the analogy I will close with is <laughs> if you're going to go to a casino, yeah. right, and, and gamble, mm-hmm. I would rather be an expert poker player and go to the poker table 
then think that I'm going to go to a, ja- a slot machine and for some reason hit the jackpot. <laughs> because that's pure luck. Yeah. As opposed to actually going in with an edge. Mm-hmm. And if you act like an adult and stop acting like a child that wants to hit that huge jackpot on the slot machine, which no one ever hits. Yeah. Learn how to play poker. And go to the <laughs> poker table as an adult. <laughs> I'm going to uh, raise your analogy, but it's not mine. I'm stealing hers just because I thought this was really beautiful. She opens the final chapter with the following. There's a technique in Japan called kintsugi, where broken ceramics are repaired with gold resin. Mm. The cracks are not hidden. Rather, they are accentuated, making the piece more beautiful than it was before. Kintsugi can be a great metaphor for our life. Our scars, our history, including the parts of us that once felt broken, are what give us character and beauty. I absolutely adore that. Yeah. And actually, the cover of the book, it really comes into play if you look up close, is, I, I hope I'm saying it right. I just said Kintsugi, so maybe it's Kintsugi. <laughs> it's, it's one of the two. Yeah, but anyway, I just thought that was really beautiful. And yeah. even though it really hurts now, and we both know what it feels like, in the long run, it really does shape you for the better. Yes. Uh, it makes it you stronger. The Japanese have a the perfect word for everything. <laughs> they do. And I think that's the perfect place to wrap mm-hmm. this breakup episode. Breakup boot camp. And reminder, breakup boot camp, if you feel like you need this right now, highly recommended. I will say it exceeded my expectations and I had reasonably high ones, but mm-hmm. it's really beautifully written and I mean, she's so smart. Whip smart. Whip smart. So well spoken. Always trust smart people. <laughs> yeah. Real basic, basic policy of life. And I think that's the perfect place to wrap. Always mm-hmm. trust smart people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we're going to ask of you. And that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram, tell your friends and leave us iTunes ratings and reviews. And... Is there, can, can you think of anything else? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye.